Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by these great sponsors. Axon started out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. Imagine having 100 years of tire and wheel knowledge in your back pocket the next time you sell a piece of ag equipment. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. No matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. TractorZoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment sales data. TractorZoom's Iron Comps is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and auctionable pricing insights. This podcast is brought to you by Anvil AppWorks. The Dealer Connect CRMI app with integrated inventory management is an affordable Salesforce-based solution for your dealership. Create connected customer experience and transform how you work. Moving higher in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving higher time and time again. Through the years you'll find us here. Moving higher. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast number 276. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by TractorZoom. TractorZoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment sales data. TractorZoom's Iron Comps is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and auctionable pricing insights. So I've got Andy Campbell on here from TractorZoom and Iron Comps, and uh, Andy is the the data guru, I guess is the best way to put it, right, Andy? That's a good description. Yeah, right I'll on, man. It. So, to, so describe what you do for the for the folks over there at, at TractorZoom. So I've got the uh, the fun job uh, at TractorZoom, where I get to take in all the data that we're collecting off of TractorZoom.com, uh, both auction data, deal list data, and then get to make sense of the industry. And right so on. get to distill it down and figure out what kind of value there is for for dealers, for uh, farm credits, lenders, uh, for anybody that needs to make a decision. Right on, right on. And I will say this that. What, what you guys are doing over there as far as the data that's coming across and, and the information that we're seeing is 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 really really helpful really timely and and, and once again you know like I've, I've said a million times what your data that you're putting across there is just data it's not been whitewashed it's not been scrubbed it's not been this other thing it's just straight data which is uh which is very important when you're looking at especially in the situation that we're in right now where your guess is as good as mine as to what's going to happen with the next thing and, and whatever else, and, and tracking that, that auction data along the way is, is very important. So congratulations to what you guys have been doing and the success you've had. Appreciate it. Thanks. Right on. All right, man. So uh, we're going to talk about the uh, – obviously we're, we're in the uh, early order writing period for combines, so having that conversation right now as to what those combines are going to look like and, and where the used market's at as we head into uh, – new uh they're selling the new new combines for the year and heads and those kind of things um andy has got a pretty good presentation here about what that looks like so andy let's just start running through this here and see what uh see what you got okay sounds good casey now go through things we can have a discussion on uh points that we want to last longer on and then if something else is kind of clear and cut we can move right on but Um, i mentioned already that we get our data from tractorzoom.com just so everybody knows that you know this is what auctioneers or our actually selling true equipment for, uh, and the data is live, it's recent, uh, or it's current dealer listings. 
And so we're trying to get true, transparent market data. Uh, but then we'll move on to the market trends. Casey and I were just chatting a little bit about what people are searching for and then really trying to gauge and put our thumb on this combine uh, market. We do things for row crop tractors too and everything, but we're just going to focus harvest today. And then, uh, then we'll dive in a little bit more specifically into combines, a little bit of headers, and talk about where's the supply going, what values are trending. Um, and then we get to pull out the match gate ball, uh, try to figure out, you know, what's ahead in this whole market. So uh, we can dive in right now, you know, tractorzoom.com, but like Casey mentioned, the speeds ironcomps.com. Uh, and that's what a lot of our partners use. Uh, a lot of dealers across the country, farm credits, egg lenders, uh, government agencies, essentially to help them formulate data uh, and formulate valuations. But the big question, you know, from the discussion, Casey and I today, I love uh, being on Twitter, probably too much uh, for my productivity, <laughs> but it is an interesting discussion that's been floating around uh, when, uh, when this thing's going to flip. Uh, and so that's really, you know, that's on my mind. I know it's on a lot of dealers' mind about, you know, can we, if not predict when this thing's going to flip, as Casey mentioned, you don't know. But if you can have your thumb on the market and be one of the first people to know, that's that's where I'd like to be. Yep, so, for sure. Yeah, that's it's kind of the goal of what I'd like to come out of the discussion today. And then so I can pick Casey's mind completely. Um, but also one thing, and this is just a plug from us uh, at Iron Comps, that last year we had the pleasure of going to Move an Iron Summit. So any dealer that's out there, any brand, any color that's thinking about professional development, we went to Moving Iron Summit down in Nashville last year, and it was phenomenal uh, from us, but from a, just a um, thought leadership standpoint and working with peers. So here's our plug. If you're not going to Moving Iron Summit and you've got that first week of September free, uh, head down there. You can QR code this in the corner and it takes you to a, a landing page, and we can help you navigate the rest. But just our plug, Casey, for what you guys are doing. Uh, that's pretty incredible. No, I appreciate that, man. It's a good time. So anybody that's interested in doing that, great way to network and, and obviously find out all the latest trends that you see happening here from the folks at TractorZoom. Cool. Okay, so yeah, let's dive into the overall market trends. Um, now, one of the things that we get the, the pleasure of doing and all of our dealer listing partners as well, you can see search volume. Just like you go to you know, Google Trends or whatever and see what people are searching up on Google. You can do that on TractorZoom too. And Casey, again, I'm not on the dealer side. I grew up on a farm, but but my you know, folks didn't run a dealership. So I was curious if this um, this line, I think I got a little line that goes there. Is that an anomaly this year that you see that where early April, people shift from thinking about, I want to buy a big tractor to I'm starting to look for combines? Or is this more of this year where because it's this year, people are searching. Yeah, typically you see that you see a, a shift in mentality uh, in combine sales in that April time frame. April, um, and then you know, because typical uh, wheat harvest and those kind of things start, you know, May through about August, right? And then you got you know that that kind of time frame there where, depending on where you're at in the country, different things are happening. But yeah, combine sales start to kind of peak start to pick up in that in that time frame and they kind of go from there through the end of the year yep okay yeah it's good to see that and yeah and so from a proportion if anybody is curious uh and i just have this parsed out to be essentially your high value items planters 
uh, anything bigger than 175 horsepower tractors, combines, platform headers, uh, and sprayers. Um, combines being in this green section now, they're about 30% of that search volume here throughout the summer. So if anybody's ever curious on, you know, between those, how many people are searching for combines, um, that's what we've been seeing kind of consistently throughout these summer months. Okay, so now the big question, one of the two big questions besides price is supply. You know, we're in the midst of August already. And so I think I pulled some of these numbers in this graph right as soon as we we're entering August. But I'm trying to gauge how many combines are we going to see available uh, this August. And, you know, real quick, Casey, you can kind of tell me if you think these percentages are on or off. Uh, you've got between January and July about 42% uh, of auction combines are sold. And everything here less than 1,500 step hours. Um, does that seem about right for what you see every year? 42% are sold in that time frame? Yeah of, the, yeah, of what moves in the year is kind of sold between January and July. Yeah, I would say that's probably here because you have a bigger volume that last three months of the year. That's September, October, November, December. I guess that's four months. But, but yeah, that's that, that last quarter of the year. Is, is when you see the biggest bulk of machinery sold. Yep. Okay. And, and again, yeah, I know that your first spring months are not huge on combine sales, but mm -hmm. using what we've seen essentially sell through January through July so far this year, and using that 42% as kind of a regulator, um, it about equates to 130 combines that we're going to see uh, for sale in August, in August uh, above 50K. So it's something I'd consider just kind of a a baseline there's a quality combine but that's down i think about 14 percent from last year and it's down maybe 80 about roughly 80 percent from two years ago now i know we've had a few sales already in august i haven't calculated those into this yet but you know casey last august is when we started to see things tighten up on the uh the combine supply you guys anticipating even tighter supplies going forward this year even knowing that last year was tight? <clears throat> I, I do. At the same time, I mean, it. it's so hard to answer that question because the, the reason I, I think it's hard to answer that question is if things show up when they're supposed to show up, we're going to have, we're gonna have a, a lot of combines the last quarter of the year. That being said, the bulk of those combines, that if they show up, a lot of those first, second-generation trades are sold. You know, So we will have some... Some to go, but I don't. <clears throat> the late model, low hour stuff, we probably won't have too incredibly large supply of. But that you know, that third, third combine, you know, that 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 second, late second kind of combine, as far as the trade cycle goes, we'll have some of those out there. That that you know, that seven fifty to a thousand, fifteen hundred range. I think we'll have some of those. Okay, and you know that kind of leads into a little bit of my second question. And then I was having this, Casey, I mentioned it right before we started, having a question with a couple farmers in our area about where are all these things? Because uh, we know there's a tighter supply, and, and I know it's not coming off the line as fast as what, maybe what they've done before. Uh, although I drove by, drove by Moline on the way out to where we're standing right now, and, and it seemed like I was passing like an X9 every right. uh, three or four miles. Yeah, right. So yeah. I swear they're coming out there fast. But, uh, you know, I know more farms are holding more confidence. Uh, we've done an analysis in the past, and I know there's some more on each farm, on average. Um, 
but you know, other thoughts or ideas on where some of these extra combines might be. You know, I, I think, I think a lot of farm to farm sales have been taking place. So that those those never get registered, they never get advertised, and never get there's no you know reports of any kind that that show what's been sold, what hasn't been sold. Um, you know, you probably would go back and look at some UCC data, and you could probably f- kind of fill your way through that a little bit as to what got sold where and who sold what. Um, but I think a lot of the stuff that we're seeing right now on the farm, why it, there's so much of it that's being sold farm to farm that. Um, it just looks like there's not been that much stuff to buy in the market, but there's been a fair amount of transactions taking place across across the spectrum. Now, all that being said, some of the stuff too is um, <clears throat> not everything is getting put on the internet right away. Um, as like this, this is you know this is for sale. Um, some of that stuff is you know you call on a lot of stuff. You can and it'll say hey you know what it's for sale now, but you can't have it till you know. April of next year, December, whenever you can have it, you know. So I think there's some of that too, where some of that stuff might not just be getting listed yet, and and some of that stuff might be pre-sold too. And that, that's the other side of it too, is you're not going to advertise something you already have sold to another somebody else down the line too. So there's a lot of that going on too. So I think not seeing that stuff um, on the on the out there in the marketplace just shows that there's a you know a, a secondary marketplace right now that we're seeing that just isn't. That's not visible to the just to the to the common person out there because there's nothing there's nothing tracking and there's no reporting of what's going on, um, you know, from the farm to farm thing and the pre-sold stuff too. So, mm-hmm. oh, that's great. Perspective. <clears throat> I know, you know, guilty on that one, not on the combine side, but we bought our planter uh, just this past year off market just because we yeah. knew it was, you know, farmer down the road is going to yeah. sell it, and because times are tight, uh, you know, I don't know if we would have done it in the past, but. I think we're just so scared they might not get one, get sure. what you wanted. Absolutely. Did that. Yeah. So that's a good perspective. Um, I had this one to go in a little bit in the external markets, but I kind of want to skip that for now and we can hit on it a little bit later. Uh, but anyways, with combine trends, and I alluded to this a little bit earlier, Casey was talking mm-hmm. to me uh, before we started to about, you know, a lot of it's going to be about combines, roll cup tractors, four wheel drives. And so this is something that we've been doing now and for over over half a year, we started in January, putting together an index on the combine market. And without going into too many details, it's essentially baselined off of 2018 to 2020 data on what is an average sale. And then we, through regression, just figure out, okay, how many, you know, how much is an hour worth? How much is a year worth of usage? And you know, all these other factors on combines. And so try to normalize it. And it helps just because we have a ton of data that flows into tracker zoom so you can do that. Um, and so anyways, this June, this July, curve strong. May took a bit of a dip, and so you got a bit of a seasonality dip there. I don't think it's more than that. But the um, you know, even though the commodity markets, and I'll, I'll flip to show some people this. This I, I mapped it right alongside corn. Your index is on the left. Your, your corn prices there, average monthly corn prices on the right. Uh, it trends pretty well with some seasonality taken into account there. Um, but yeah, it's... You know, Casey was saying, you know, watch for those multiple months where this thing starts to turn. Uh, but we're not there. I mean, it's no, you know, no, it's just as strong as it has. Yeah. Been. You think it can't go up anymore? Yeah. You see some new sales, and you're like, my God, I, yep. I can't believe they paid that for that. But it's yep. it's going up. Yep. And I think to your point here, I mean, this is 
I talk about the canary in the coal mine all the time, and, and you know how auction data is, is that is that canary, right? So, if you know if you're looking at these kind of things and you start to see these things drop off, to me, I don't really see a a drop off in, in the market for um, at, at a minimum twelve months for sure. I mean, the long eighteen months from now, twelve to eighteen months, something like that, going into twenty four, midway through twenty four, something like that, where I, I think it's when you finally start having that supply catch up with demand and you start you know you look out the window of the dealership and you've got you know three or four row crop tractors sitting out there that you don't know who you're going to sell them to and you've got a baler or two sitting out there and you've got a combine or two sitting out there that you don't you don't you know you're just waiting for someone to come by and take a look at it or you're you're actively quoting that to several people but you don't have any active takers you're trying to create that sell that to me is when you start seeing that that real slide in the marketplace right and i think Uh You know, looking at at this kind of data that you guys put out, this 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 index that you have here is is really going to be a a very handy tool to have at your disposal. Because I'll be honest with you, we start seeing that thing slide, the price of corn might stay up, but uh, just uh, the overall supply starts to kind of kind of go back into a, a more quote unquote normal phase. You're gonna you're gonna see something there, and I think this is going to be a very important very important yeah. tool. Yeah, that's a good point that it's, you know, it does follow the corn price a little bit because it's a bit more, you know, they're, the prices right now are both supply and demand driven. Sure. Uh, it's not one or the other. And so your demand can stay there and corn prices stay high and bean prices stay high. But uh, yeah, it's it's multifactored. And so that's, a, you know, a reason why we're watching it every month doing this. Yep. Okay. And, you know, I, I get into good Twitter battles, uh, quote unquote, like procrastination. But, uh, you know, a lot on, you know, is it, is this a deer problem? You know, is it case? Is it, you know, Holland, you know, who, who's got the issues right here? And I showed this in a recent webinar. So just kind of, you know, look at this kind of with glazed eyes for a second. So you get the general shape. The bar graphs are average price per month since 2020 of combines, you know, all sold for 50K and above. The line graph is separator hours. And I always like to look at the two in combination just so you can tell you know, like here in 2021 of May, it looks like the price bottomed out, but probably because it's May and you only sold a few combines and they happen to be super high SEP hours. So that's why the price is low. Um, so it's always gauging, but just look at the general shape. Oh, I hit the wrong button click instead of forward out. No, uh, anyways, uh, it's, the essentially John Deere case and New Holland, they they have the same shape, and so you know, except for you know uh, a sale that was on the extremes, they're all following this general pattern, um, and so that's kind of my comeback to them is you can look at the data within Tractor Zoom and you follow it, and it, they're all following the same trend here. Gotcha. Okay, but anyways, so now talking a little bit about trends and and what's uh, the most recent, you know, we. Have the data that comes in. So anything that was sold last week, we have the data up on Iron Comps now, and that's one thing I wanted to show you here. This graph right here, every single dot is a combine that sold uh, within the past four years, I believe. So you got just a mess of dots, but you can kind of see the general pattern that all combines are going to sold for step hours across the x-axis, and you've got your price that they sold for on the y-axis there. And I added in here July sales. July, just this last July. Uh, 
and you've got you know a pattern that fits in it it's not all above so you're not talking out of this world type of prices but you've got some you know ones on the fringes that are pushing the the price barrier up in here and so i'm gonna let casey give his his analysis on this because he and i were talking about this beforehand and he had a great uh, idea of what's going on here i was talking to a, a farmer earlier and showed him the same graph and he seemed to think that down here you've got uh some farmers who they're forward focused they're like i'll pay anything for the combine that i want and they're willing to really push the envelope pay top dollar for some of these low hour machines probably also because they can't get a brand new machine and they might want one they might have been your you know your buyers of the new machine uh but then once you get up here into the 2k plus and your step hours your i don't know what they would be your third or fourth wash cycle uh buyers and they're not willing necessarily push the envelope with these type of machines uh down there but anyways casey do you want to describe a little bit about what your perspective was when i showed you this graph yeah so when i was looking at this i i thought <clears throat> if you look in between uh the the 1k and the 2k kind of right in the middle there's two dots there that are kind of one's higher than the other there's a <clears throat> there's a line that runs between them but there's two little dots that kind of run that are that a pretty distinct line and i think if you drew a diagonal line between those and you counted the number of dots on the left side versus the number of dots on the right side. Obviously, the right side is going to have more dots because you can clearly see that. But to me, I think that's the the uh, the one thousand hour machine to the you know the two thousand hour machine that we're seeing out there. A lot of those machines got traded in on some of these you know more late model, low hour machines that we see coming in. And to me, that that two thousand twelve, thirteen, and fourteen model combine, which is going to be making up. The overwhelming bulk of that 2,000 to 4,000 um, hour machine. Um, those machines are, for lack of a better term, been very much commoditized, and they're just they're they're there. They're worth what they're worth. People are paying what they're paying for them, and it is what it is, right? I think on the left side of that line, those are more of the machines that people are are looking at from a value perspective, um, whether it's a technology or the hours or whatever it is that they're doing. That be coming from you know, a, a, a 680 to a 780. They might be moving from a, a 780 or six. I'm sorry, 670 up to a you know a, a, a 780. So they're jumping a whole, getting newer and bigger. So I just think looking at that, when I see that, I see that these are more guys that are looking at the value of a specific machine and that they see a perceived value in what they're buying. Whereas the other side of that is not that they don't see a perceived value in what they're buying because there could be some on here that traded a 3000 hour machine for a 1500 hour machine right mm -hmm. but they but i just feel like cuz if you see how close those dots are those red dots from 2000 to 4000 how how clustered those are that's a good yep. indicator that that those machines are there's a perceived value for those machines right there's a, a hard and fast value that's out there and i think that's what you're seeing why you're seeing some of these these bigger bigger cluster points in in the in the middle there mm. yeah I'm going to have to make a note if you mention that. You're right, that the variability just increases drastically as you get down here. And that would be an interesting graph for me to pull sometime, too. You know, in these different cycles of machines or you know, 0 to 500, 500 to 1,000, just watch that variability change uh, that people are willing to pay. And you're right, it probably has a lot more to do with the personality of the farmer and their philosophy in farming uh, and how that changes uh, and the type of buyer they are. Okay, and then, you know, the supply is something that um, 
we chatted about a little bit earlier, and, and this is probably no surprise to anybody uh, watching this or listening to this, that we've seen, you know, in Q2, I've seen a 45% drop over 2021's Q2. Now it's going to start changing here a little bit as we get into Q3, like I mentioned, that we might just see a 14% drop because we've already gone an entire year now through combines of short supply. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, just wanted to show this to see what we've been seeing year over year for our supply change. Uh, you know, I don't know how much more we can drop considering that last year was already lower. If we're going to now bottom out and, um, and flatten out on this, but uh, it looks like August so far that we might still, you know, be dropping a little bit over last year. But again, I, I don't entirely know what's going to come to sale yet. Right. No, I, I think your graph is very representative representative of what we see happening out there for sure. Uh, you know what? This is the graph. This is the fancy one that I was going to show you a little earlier uh, <laughs> with the, the price in the case, New Holland and John Deere. And so if you just take a look at this one, uh, the, the breakdown by color, and it really follows the same pattern that everything follows, again, um, regardless of, of color that you're after. So the, the average day is listed, and Casey, you have to tell me if this um, completely breaks the computer or not. I wanted to show uh, you guys iron comps just for a second. And so, you know, within iron comps, one of the things that will follow are average days listed. And Casey and I were talking about these graphs and um, what you really should pay attention to, maybe what you, you don't. Um, but anyways, within harvesting combines and John Deere, you can go in here and see these are all John Deere combines within the database, so over 9,000 of them. Um, but you can also look at dealer list averages too to try to figure out is the market really moving, is it not? Uh, and you can look at a price trend as this thing goes and where the auction data falls, auction data being green dots where these things were sold versus average dealer list price. And so now we're looking at a pretty big swath, like everything John Deere combines. So you've got all different types of combines that are going to fall in here. Um, but one of the good things you can do too is look at your average days listed uh, and then show whether it's only show things that have sold and uh, or show everything that's on the lot. Now, Casey, you mentioned that this probably inverts uh, for most types of combines that you see that you probably have a higher supply here in November and it works its way down to you get to August. Um, and then that might be seen here, especially once we get into specific make models. But I know it's a newer uh, feature within Iron Comps, and so I wanted to show people that you can do both uh, the price trend graph and the days listed graph uh, within any make model, uh, any different category within Iron Comps. I like that. Like go back to that screen real quick. Yeah. The million dollar ninety six seventy. That's pretty. That's pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> this, this is yeah. Uh, it's listed. No one's bought yeah. that. One. <clears throat> I can't imagine why. That's a that's a deal. It's a bargain. Yeah, I know. <laughs> must be one that they've got a, an emotional attachment to. I guess really so. Well. Yeah. Uh, must be on consignment. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. But anyways, yeah, you can go in here and make model, and I won't dive into all of them now unless we have a specific question later. 
but okay. um, but it is a, a nice tool within there, so you don't always have to export data or uh, uh, do with it what you want. Okay, so I wanted to get to headers here in just a second, make sure I leave enough time uh, to chat about it. But overall, we've seen the, the combine supply be down about 30% year over year, and then the question is, are we gonna continue to see that down another you know, 15, 14%? Um, but getting back to the index, we tracked it in June and July, and, and again, I, I was questioning whether or not we'd be able to keep up these high prices, and they haven't slowed down at all. Uh, with combines. It's uh, pretty incredible how those high values continue to persist. Okay, now getting into headers here a little bit. Uh, I'm going to buzz through this fast, but I uh, I want Casey to give his feedback here on what he sees happening with the header market because, again, this is something that's uh, this is an enlightening to me, uh, but I track average header price, and this is corn rowhead market, uh, from 2019, 2020, 2021, average price. And that price is in the light blue. The dark blue that you see on the bottom is the uh, the average number of rows. And so for anybody that's just listening to this and not actually watching it, you start and average price starts a little less than $11,000, goes to you know just over $11,000, but then jumps in 2021 to over almost $14,000. And really, the average number of rows trends with that a little bit, though. So bigger headers uh, that are out there. But then in 2021, the price stays high, but the average size of what's sold on the market seems to drop back down to what I would call normal 2020 levels. And so, Casey, do you want to reiterate a little bit of what you were talking about earlier, what you saw in the market that might explain some of this? Yeah, so what, what I saw happen out here, now this is my area, I mean, I, I can't speak to, to everybody else, but, you know, tracking this data, the number of machines on, 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 on lots and those kind of things through various channels that we track them through and at what we've been tracking uh, for, since 2014. If you take a look at, at some of that data from, you know, 2021 going into 2022, there is an abnormally large amount of, of corn heads sold early in the year that you wouldn't. That we don't typically see happen out here, and in the the nationwide data that we track too also reflected that as well. I don't know if there was some carryover, you know, deferred funds, those kind of things that came out of twenty one to twenty two, that you know they were looking for a specific thing and it wasn't available um, at that time, early twenty two. Um, the amount of the, the row crop tractor situation was just starting to be depleted and. More and more machines were getting getting sold and, and quickly getting sold, and so it makes me think a little bit that that maybe some of that cornhead activity that you're seeing here um, was you know I can't get this machine that I want, but I do need to update a cornhead, so I'm going to go ahead and just get the cornhead now and and mm -hmm. take care of that. So I think maybe that might be some of it. Um, the other side of it too. The number of rows that you had that peaked up in the in the uh, earlier slide that showed was like nine point two six or whatever it was, yep. and mm -hmm. you know, basically dropped down you know two rows. There's not nearly the number of sixteen row corn heads, um, twenty four row corn heads, um, those kind of things. There's still a lot. Of, there's still a lot twelves and, and and eights and those kind of things that are out there floating around. But that that overall number of 
of large corn heads is just it's not there. And but it also shows you that the average price of the smaller heads have gone have come up quite a bit to oh. maintain where you're at. You've only dropped three hundred bucks in a year. Right. I mean, so in the number, the size of heads have come down too. So it shows you the scarcity of the market. Oh. That's uh, keeping that's that price point. inflated. You know. Yeah, I was talking to a Canadian dealer, and he was mentioning the fact that they, you know, they couldn't find larger. He's talking about platform heads. Mm-hmm. He was looking all over for a larger platform head. All of his customers were couldn't find it. Yeah, uh, and so it I mean, could also be some of the same issue where that's all that's the demand, but it's not out there. Right, those people aren't selling. Yep. And I would stink to have a million dollar machine and not a head to put on it too so i'm sure that's going through the minds um and for those that are watching this too i you know i just wanted to talk about are these all these heads moving in the same direction and this is again just looking at some select subset of john deere headers that are sold in q1 and q2 this year but for some of the larger 12 row heads you know they're up 14 percent 19 percent 30 percent uh, and some of these now one model, the 612C, uh, is down seven percent. But in case you correct me if I'm wrong, that model's not made anymore. So that model in general is, is just aging, and so um, that's essentially the depreciation of a year of use uh, is pulling that one down. Yeah, yeah, that's. Uh, I would say. I would I would I would agree with what you got there. Yeah, yeah, that was kind yeah. of the outlier. I mean, the fact that it was sold in 2019 just means a little bit older. And, right. You know, people want newer. Yep. Um, it's not that these things don't depreciate. They are depreciated somewhat. Um, yeah, it's not. not a, a it's not a ton. It's not a rapid. It's not as rapid as a machine with hours. You know what I mean? Right. And uh, okay, so now comes the question, and this again is maybe asking you to to uh, make a little assumption or read into the tea leaves a bit, but uh, I looked into trending platform values. Uh, and specifically, I've got on Iron Cops pulled up, and I can switch to that here in a second, of John Deere's uh, 640 uh, flex draper head uh, and what we're seeing for prices with that. Again, they look like they're at a premium, but not a machine uh, piece of equipment. And so from your standpoint, Casey, have you seen the same percent increase on these? Uh, that you've seen on other types of equipment? I mean, are, they're not up 30% year over year, are they? Or, or what have you seen on... No, I mean, you still have a lot of augered heads that, that people are, 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 are looking for. Um, but there's there's a definitely a, a developing trend headed towards the, the draper head, whether it's flex draper or rigid draper or whatever else. Really, there's a lot more emphasis on the, the flex draper than there is on the rigid draper, and I think it's just the versatility that we're looking at. If you're just a strictly just a wheat guy, and you're just cutting wheat, and that's all you're doing, <clears throat> you know, uh, uh, something where, where you're not on the ground trying to get every last last morsel of it. Um, the flux draper might not be the trend line, but the pattern that I'm seeing develop in, in the farm equipment economy is that. Now it used to be you had you know three different tractors doing three different things, and you know you had a tillage tractor, you had a planting tractor, you had a you know whatever chore tractor, whatever. You had these different tractors doing these different things. Um, now you kind of see like the nine R, like the, the the bigger, higher horsepower, four wheel drive tractors evolve into 
more of a, they're a tillage tractor. They're also a planting tractor. They're also a grain cart tractor, right? So you've got that versatility across that platform, right? Because and, and the reason for that is, I mean, hell, the price of equipment by itself is kind of hard to justify having, you know, a four, five, or six hundred thousand dollar piece of equipment just to do one thing, unless it's like a combine or a chopper or something like that. So that's a defined piece of equipment for a specific thing. But if it's just kind of a kind of a do all, then you're going to make it do all, right? So and I think that's what you're seeing with some of these flex these flex drapers that you can lock those into a rigid mode and have the same functionality that you would with just a regular rigid draper, but you also can do other crops with it at the same time. And I think you're starting to see that happen more. The deliverability of draper belts are to the center and the, the efficiency that you're seeing there seems to be catching on a lot more than, than what we've seen in the past, um, especially when you're looking at the soybean market. I mean, Right. I mean, that's that's where the biggest bulk of these flex drapers are going or to cut beans, you know. So, I mean, I think looking at that, getting that feel for what that draper head can do, I think there's just a, a more of a developing trend there, and it's going to become more widely accepted than it was, say, five years ago. Right. And on that standpoint, too, I remember me and my father-in-law, who also farms, he was, we're having an argument of whether or not it pays for itself uh, because flex drapers aren't cheap. Uh, right. cheaper, you know. But... Uh, he was saying, oh, it saves like you know, half a bushel an acre or something. But when it was, you know, when a bushel didn't cost that much of beans, uh, I was winning that argument. Um, right, right. It's, yeah. it's a different case right now. Right, yeah. You're right that, you know, beans keep up this trend. Uh, it's going to be easier for farmers to justify uh, having this draper. Let's get back. And, and we just chatted about this too, but I wanted to bring it up because, and I'm asked, with this uh, all the time on the, the header sizes. Like we said, you know, there doesn't seem to be as enough of these larger headers out in the market. Uh, are, is John Deere or maybe some of the other OEMs, are they going to stop making smaller headers and are they eventually all going to shift to a Draper market or a Draper header on the market as well? It's mm -hmm. a good question. I mean, as <clears throat> the draper head is a direct correlation to the size of the machine that it's feeding, right? So, um, and you could put a you could put a forty foot flex draper on a <clears throat> class six head, and you'd have to fix a a bunch of different stuff on the front of it so I could lift it up and handle it. But I mean, in theory, you could do that, and you'd have to go you know a mile an hour or two miles an hour to make it work. So it's not efficient, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. But if you put a a thirty foot head on the front of a of an X nine, again, that's not efficient either because you can't go fast enough to keep it full, right? So right. the idea of of kind of growing that and right-fitting that, that thing. When I first started in this business in 2006, having a 25-foot or a 30-foot a flex draper, <clears throat> Macdon flex draper, maybe even a 35-foot, a that, that was kind of a that was kind of your sweet spot. That 30-foot head was kind of your sweet spot. Yep. Now that 40-foot head is kind of your sweet spot, you know, so... You know, you're getting out to 50 foot now. You got some, you know, king or king bees, honey bees that are, you know, 55 foot. You know, you got some 50 foot heads. You've got these different heads out there that are just, they're getting bigger and bigger and bigger because they have, you have a bigger machine to feed to keep, keep things going. So it'll be interesting to see what, what happens. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, this is the last year for the John Deere, John Deere moldboard plow, right? They don't, they're going to make one again after this year, right? So right. now they can probably say that. I don't know that that's been a very 
dominating market for that long. You know, for, it's been a while since you know mobile cloud was a was a was a big seller, but obviously it was enough to keep it going this long, right? So, mm-hmm. I think you'll see the same thing with a with a twenty five to thirty foot head type thing until you get to autonomous combines, and that's a whole other conversation. But as things become smaller and and you can one person can do more with with multiple machines then then i think you'll start seeing the the rebirth of the um the smaller implement yeah. smaller combine head those kind of things come into play yeah and that was going to be my follow-up question because i mm-hmm. again that's something i wonder it's something i get asked whether it's with automation or whatever else if, if there will be a, either a resurgence for the big oems to make some of those smaller items again or if it'll be an opening in the market for a new player uh, or maybe an international player to come in, not, yeah. not international itself, but you know, Fent or somebody else to come in with a new piece of equipment and fill that niche. Yeah, and that's there's there's two camps to that autonomous thing, right? There's the everything gets smaller when you don't have to drive it anymore, and then there's the why would it get smaller if you don't have to drive it? You can just control more larger machines out in the field, and so I, I, it just it's it's such a, a back and forth thing. I definitely think it's going to get smaller. Um, not for sure how small that is but uh, to me i think you'll have smaller more multiple machines working in the same field type of thing so yeah i'd certainly i'd love to be in on those strategy discussions that uh, some yeah. of those oems are having yeah. looking at the future apartment uh, okay so again talking about tea leaves eight ball crystal ball what have you um one of the things that you know if some of your listeners aren't doing this yet i started doing this at the uh, suggestion of some of our developers on our team that uh, they go into TractorZoom and they use this favorite option within TractorZoom. I'll show you here in a second, but I'll go pinpoint certain auctions that I think are uh, significant in the market. Maybe they're going to draw a lot of attention and uh, they might have some certain pieces of equipment uh, that are key. And I'll go in there and I'll favorite them. Uh, If it has a price prediction thing on TractorZoom, I'll try to predict the price, but I get an email alert. And it lets me know when the auction's coming up, the day of, if I want to bid. Uh, but then it, once it closes, it'll tell me, hey, my piece sold and uh, what it sold for. And that's just a great reminder because I can't ever remember to go back and check all these all the time. But it tells me, you know, this piece sold, you were interested in it. Here's what it sold for. And then I pull up iron comps and then I just do a quick check. You know, is that trending up? Is it trending down? Is it what I expected? Uh, but it's a good, you know, data point on... Is this market still moving up? Is it significant or not? So the Wheeler auction was one that just happened about a week ago uh, where it had a ton of great combines on it. And uh, I'll show you some of the data on that in a second. But I really quick wanted to show on TractorZoom that you can go in here. And I had this, actually, I was actually talking to my dad uh, about a combine. He has a 9870. If you ever wanted to buy a replacement, what that's going to cost for a second one. Uh, but you can go in here and if any of these are coming up for auction, none of them were, so actually created a search. But I'm going to clear this out a little. Um, so. But here's a 9770. Uh, you know, we we're just talking about uh, platform heads. It's This one right here, Sullivan Auctions got a few really good auctions coming up. But I favored that one. Now I'm going to get an email alert letting me know when it comes up for sale and what it actually sold for. Uh, so you can go in there and uh, 
and go through that piece. On price prediction, and again, when we were talking about social media uh, procrastination earlier, this price prediction is another uh, thing I spend probably too much time on. But again, I mentioned that Sullivan's got some good auctions coming up. Here's an S780, quite a few 780s. You go and see the details on it. But through the algorithm, uh, the track is zoomed based on all past purchases, similar make models. Uh, it thinks it's going to sell for about a little less than four and a quarter. I'm still bullish on this market. I think it's going to go higher. It'll let me know if I was right or wrong. Uh, Induce may go on that one a little bit or bring me down. So, uh, also something I do to just track the market for certain makes and models. Now, back to that Wheeler auction. And this is one of the final points I want to hit on. Uh, that was one I was following, went through, favorited it. I pulled and exported from iron comps everything that sold on that auction. And this is again by price on the left-hand side, set hours across the bottom, just to see where those prices are falling. And on average, you know, it's certainly not a straight line, but it was about $120 per SEP hour. Uh, so I use that as a part of a gauge to figure out this is depreciating on what I would expect it to be. But similar to the graph that I showed you earlier, I also wanted to put this in perspective with other combines that have sold within the past two years. And especially for low hours, each one of these, call a segment of an hour category, either at the top or right near the top for less than 500 hours. Once you get a little bit older, you, you kind of fall more into the masses. Mm -hmm. but, but again, just another good indication that this is, this is still on the up and up. Yep. So uh, this last plug in there for anybody that wants to do what I just did uh, tomorrow, actually. Tomorrow's ninth, right? That is right. But, uh, yeah, so these two auctions are going on that Sullivan one that I just was mentioning. Uh, and then there's one up in Minnesota, too, uh, that's got some uh, some good pieces of uh, equipment that's selling. And so I happen to favor some of those. And I just usually pick out one or two a week on track to Zoom. It's, you know, it's free for anybody to sign up, but they get to uh, engage the market a little bit like that. Right on. So... The, the last one, Casey, and I didn't prep this one uh, for you ahead of time, so I am completely, uh, you know, trying to catch you out in left field here. But this question was actually asked of me, uh, of someone else earlier today. The fact that we are, quote unquote, maybe in a recession, two Qs uh, with um, lower uh, GDP, mm -hmm. but yet unemployment's incredibly low, and people still are not slowing down the spending. So, what? I mean, higher interest rates on the horizon. I didn't know from a dealer's perspective, how do you think this is going to affect new equipment sales and used equipment demand? Um, you know, it kind of, <clears throat> as interest rates have shot up, um, we, sh we haven't seen any real um, decline in demand, right? Mm -hmm. um, I think uh, for the most part... <clears throat> I think for the most part, we're still seeing um, no one. No one said, "Hey, I'm not going to buy this because interest rates are, you know, whatever, six percent or whatever." I haven't yep. seen that yet. Um, is that going to happen? Sure, it will. It's going to happen somewhere down the line. Um, but 
I don't. I don't know. It's hard to say. You know, it's hard to say what'll happen. I, I think. I mean, obviously, commodity prices are going to play into that, and interest rates play into that too. But I also think if commodity prices stay, you know, stay up, and we see some uh, interest rates kind of stay up with it, um, then then maybe it won't have an effect that we're seeing there. But I think at the end of the day. Um, we will see some pressure from higher interest rates, and that, that's going to play a bigger demand. I mean, you start looking at someone that's got you know two or three million dollars worth of equipment, which is you know that's an average farm. You know, if you look at trucks, trailers, machines, everything else they got in there, and you're you were paying three percent, now you're paying six percent, um, or in some cases you're paying two percent, now you're paying three or six percent. Um, that's a big number. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And you, you've you've uh, tripled or quadrupled the amount of interest that you pay in a year. That's that's going to have an effect on what people do and don't do. And is that does that happen in twenty three? Does that happen in twenty four? Who knows? But we are. I, I suspect to see some interest rates that are going. They're going to have. They're definitely going to have an effect sometime. I don't know how of what magnitude that is because historically we're still at all time low. Um, not all time low, but historically low interest rates comparatively to what we see around us. So, in the past, right. yeah, yeah, I was talking to uh, my dad and a couple of the old went through the eighties, and they were yep. telling me about their interest rates. Since we're not near there, we're not going to hopefully get to that. Uh, so it's in perspective, it's it's still very manageable. But uh, I was curious but, to know how this is going to change the behavior. Yeah, and I think the difference between the eighties and and now is that you know. 18% interest on a $40,000 tractor versus 6% interest on a $500,000 tractor. Um, you know, there's definitely some issues. And now, operating costs, those kind of things, I get that. There's not 18% interest and 15% interest on operating notes yet. But, um, and, and it, you know, I hope it didn't get there. But there's still a, you know, if you pay, Six percent on a five hundred thousand dollar machine. What's that? Was that what? Thirty thousand bucks a year that you're paying in interest. Yeah, I mean you're almost paying a year's worth of interest what you paid for the tractor when it was new. So I mean, it's hmm. there's some. I mean, there's some there's some things there that I think are worth taking note of. Right. So. Yeah, it'll be interesting. And yep. again, the people I've talked to outside of farming, um, I talked to them about um, about this scenario. They're not sure what's going to happen, but a lot of them just indicate they think the interest rates are going to become more aggressively increased. You know, sure. Whether it's three quarters of a point next time around or, yep. or what have you, they think that's not necessarily slowing down. Nope. Not, you know, and they've made that pretty clear that they're not going to right. slow anything down. So, all right. So, anyways, those are all the kind of questions I had. I Sorry for drilling you on that last one without any prep. But, uh, that's all right. But I did want to thank, you know, thank you. Uh, thank everything that you do at uh, Moving Iron. Thank all of our dealer listing partners. Uh, they help you know, give us feedback to make the product better, uh, but also listing uh, things on Tractor Zoom feeds the data a little bit so everybody can make better decisions. So we certainly can't do what we do without them. Yep. Uh, so, yeah, just really appreciative of everything you're doing and everything they're helping us with. Uh, you know, we enjoy uh, working with y'all. No, I mean, I, I really think what you guys have is something special here, and I think it's different than what we've seen in, in a lot of different aspects of that. So 
hats off to what you guys are doing over there, Andy. So if folks want to reach out to you, Andy, and get more information about what you're doing, there's the, uh, for those that are watching this, there's the stuff down here in the lower right-hand corner. But for those that are listening, Andy, what's the best way to do that? Yeah, so emailing me is the best way at acampbell at trackazoom.com. Uh, you know, they can email me anytime and open up a conversation and whether we can help them with data, with, uh, you know, access and iron comps. Uh, we work with, you know, dealers, but we're also working, like I said, with lenders, financial institutions, anybody in the ag industry that's working to uh, make better decisions off the data, uh, we're partnering with. So I right uh, would love to hear from anybody and everybody um, that's got a question. Right on. Okay, man. Well, Andy, I appreciate what you do, man, and uh, I uh, look forward to seeing you guys in Nashville. Yeah, yeah, we're definitely looking forward to it. It's going to be a good time. Right on. I'm Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast. Make sure you check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. That's where you can find the latest editions of the Moving Iron Podcast. You can also go to LinkedIn at Moving Iron Podcast and also check out the video version of this over on the Moving Iron YouTube channel, so check that out. Uh, Moving Iron Podcast YouTube channel, so check that out. Um, also go to the website, movingironllc.com, for everything Moving Iron related and all the information for the upcoming Moving Iron Summit in Nashville, Tennessee. If you're interested in getting in on that, uh, time is of the essence here, but things are starting to rapidly uh, close up here. So if you're interested in doing that, send me an email at movingironpodcast at movingironpodcast.com or in the upper right-hand corner of the website, click the Moving Iron Summit page, and that information will get to me as well. So uh, got a good friend of mine, Alex Yuchenko, is coming back from Ukraine uh, to take a break, and then he's going to head back over there, I think, uh, here in a little while to continue his humanitarian efforts. If you're interested in helping Alex, go to, to the show notes, and there is a uh, GoFundMe page link that you can go to, or you can just go GoFundMe.com uh, and help uh, search Help Alex Transport Humanitarian Aid from Ukraine to, uh, I'm sorry, from, uh, man, totally messed that up to go back and edit that out help alex transport humanitarian aid from poland to ukraine and uh, that'll help out as well so with that i'm casey seymour with andy campbell let's move some iron folks out axon started out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving imagine having 100 years of tire and wheel knowledge in your back pocket the next time you sell a piece of ag equipment to find more or become an axon dealer please visit axontire.com Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. No matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. TractorZoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment sales data. TractorZoom's Iron Comps is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and auctionable pricing insights. This podcast is brought to you by Anvil AppWorks. The Dealer Connect CRMI app with integrated inventory management is an affordable Salesforce-based solution for your dealership. Create connected customer experience and transform how you work. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving higher, time and time again. Through the years, you'll find us here. Moving.